CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to this Thursday edition of To Every Man and Answer. I'm your host, John Randall, from Calvary South OC, located in San Clemente, California, and also uh, the teacher on a daily walk radio program here on CSN, filling in for Pastor Mike Kessler today. And joining me on the program, uh, one of our favorites, we have got the special guest, Jeff Wickwire, uh, Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, so glad to have you on the program today, Jeff. How are you, my friend? Hello, John. Good to be with you. Hey, uh, time is going by fast. Can't believe we're headed up towards Easter already. Yeah, can you believe it? Uh, uh, pastors live from Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday to Wednesday, but now it seems like it's, years are going by in a blur. Yes. Uh, didn't we just have Christmas? But yeah, here Easter is right around the corner. But looking forward to a great show today oh, yeah. and um, great questions as always. And it's good to be with you, John. Yeah, it's a blessing. Listen, folks, if you have a question that uh, about the Christian faith, about the Bible, is it in the Bible? Uh, something maybe you've heard at church or something you've heard recently and have questions about it. Listen, call us here. 8888-ASK-CSN. That's 8888-ASK-CSN. We would love to hear from you. And uh, so please Give us a call. And as Pastor Jeff mentioned, Easter is right around the corner. Folks, this is the greatest uh, day in human history that we can that we can look back to where everything changed, Jeff. What, you know, when Jesus is alive, that changes everything. And um, that's the message that people need to hear. And all the discouraging things that you hear, you know, you look at the news and you see all these things coming. And Jesus, of course, warned us about these things. But Jeff, you know, when you when you look at everything that's going on um, within the world, what's you know, what, what's one thing that you just think, you know what I find encouraging? This is what I find encouraging in the midst of everything that's taking place right now. Well, I find encouraging and comforting the sovereignty of God. You know, you look at our world and it looks like uh, Satan is in control or evil is in control and things are out of control because evil's in control, but really not so. From 30,000 feet up, looking down on things, uh, from God's point of view, he's in charge. Nothing happens apart from his approval, his permission, and uh, God's in charge. He's in charge of his world. History is his story, and right now we're watching, actually, the plan of redemption unfold. Uh, people are being saved, John, all over the world. You know, people tend to say, well, you know, don't talk about the gospel anymore because people don't want to hear it, mm-hmm. but actually they do. They really do want to hear it. Now, there are some that will tell you to take a hike if you bring up the gospel but we're seeing people, as I'm sure you are, saved every week. I mean, people are coming to Christ. And uh, we find that the fields are white for harvest. So for me, the encouraging thing is the gospel never loses its power. It is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, which means the Gentiles, which means most of us listening right now. So Amen. God is moving no matter what the devil is doing. That's what encourages me. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And that is such, that's such good news, you know, and I appreciate that, uh, you mentioning that for us. You know, today, Jeff, we're going to start out the program. You know what? We are going to go to the city where I grew up, 
We're going to Santa Ana, California, and we've got Ray on the line. Ray, welcome to Every Man and Answer. Glad to have you on the program. How can we help you today? Thank you. Uh, I just got, it's kind of an embarrassing question, but you know, I've been a Christian for a long time and I, I gotta know this because I've, I've heard it from different things from like 20 different ministers. It's not right. It's, it, it's okay. Blah, blah, blah. If, if, and I know about the fornication thing and I know about the, the, the lust thing. I know all about that stuff. But if, if a man is, or a woman is by themselves for a long, long time, is it a sin? For that person to every once in a while to you know ratify themselves, is that a sin? That's that, that's what I want to right. know. I'm, yeah, well, that's a good question. Before. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, you know, Jeff, when you think about, um, it's hard. You know, you've been single for years. You know, as as was mentioned by our friend Ray, and you know, uh, what do you do when you get to that place in life, and you know, you have these desires and. Um, you know, you don't have an outlet with a relationship in a marriage that God, what, what would you say to somebody like that? Well, that's a topic that there's not a chapter and verse. I can't pull out a Bible verse and say, here's uh, a verse that uh, speaks directly to that. Uh, but there are principles that speak to it that are in scripture. One of them, of course, your thought life, your fantasy life, what you are fantasizing about what you're thinking about, what you're dwelling on. Um, that's a principle in Scripture for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Philippians 4, 8, that we are to think on things that are uh, good, lovely, of good report, uh, uh, virtuous and uh, honest, and so on and so forth. That's Philippians 4, 8. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing would would I think that would address it is the whole idea of... Uh, becoming enslaved to something or addicted to something uh, or not. And, you know, I don't think, you know, I want to be careful here because, again, there's no chapter and verse. But uh, I, I, to me, if, if uh, a person goes there and they feel convicted, then they need to take it to God and say, forgive me. But I, I wouldn't let it ruin my life. I wouldn't let it ruin my, my, my walk with God or my peace. I think I think the issue would be if you get into a habit, uh, an addictive habit, where uh, you come into a, a level of enslavement to something, uh, or uh, addiction to something, or it becomes a habit pattern that begins to dominate your life, then I think Scripture speaks to it in principle for sure. Um, but, you know, if I was talking to somebody... 16, who, who said this to me, just for an example. And they said, you know, I, I, I did that. Now what? I say, well, if you feel guilty, ask God to forgive you and move on. But don't let it shoot you down in flames or ruin your walk or uh, heap condemnation on you for an extended period of time. I wouldn't go there. Uh, I would, to me, the line would be drawn with, uh, is it becoming an, an addiction? A, a, just a really ingrained habit pattern or like, uh, Ray said something, um, I don't know. I think he said occasional or, you know, not often. Again, there's no chapter or verse. So it's really hard to speak to it definitively. I can only speak to it, uh, by principle. And I think those are principles that can, can guide the topic. Your thoughts, John. 
Well, a couple of passages of scriptures come to mind, uh, a few verses. First of all, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where Paul says he's not going to be mastered by anything. He said, are all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated or enslaved or mastered by any. So you'd have to say, hey, is this helpful to me? Is this something that God would have me to do? Can I ask that question? Second thing uh, that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 9.27, where Paul talks about, I discipline my body and I bring it under control, lest having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I mean, I, I might lose opportunity, this thing. Uh, and so I think I have to think that through. Is this is this helpful for me? Um, is, is this, should I rather discipline my body in this area? And then finally, I would think about the fruit of the spirit is, uh, one of, one of the fruits is self-control that God mm -hmm. desires that we would have self-control. And, um, I, I think that's, that's really important. In fact, Paul said it this way, Galatians chapter five, verse 16, he said, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, they are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit, they're against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. So that would be, I would take those scriptures and I would read through those and I would pray through those. And I think um, the spirit of God's going to make it clear. And uh, although there's not chapter and verse, certainly are there are principles applied to all things that we are involved with. And we ought to be able to say, can I do this to the glory of God? Because the Bible says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Can, That's can a great principle that? there. And, and if I yeah. cannot, then I, you know, it's probably something that I should avoid and ask God to give me self-control in this area of my life and walk in the spirit and and not fulfill the, the lust of my flesh. So Ray, thank you so much for calling there, brother. Thank you for being so transparent. That's a, that's a tough question to ask, but I'm sure it's on the minds of many people and they want to know. So appreciate you doing that. Stay on the line. We'd love to send you out some materials, some encouragement. And uh, again, thanks so much. God bless you. Thanks for calling. You know, now we want to go out to Brenda and I want to say this correctly. And Jeff and I were looking at this before. <laughs> Alamo Gordo. Alamo Gordo. Did I say that right? Alamo Gordo, New Mexico? I think you, it has to be right. Alamo Gordo. Are we right, Brenda? All right. Oh, yes. Right. It means fat tree in uh, oh, Spanish. Yes. Oh, I, I, I told you, Jeff. Gordo How was cool. Fat, so it's a, but I didn't know it was fat tree. I've never heard of that. So fat we're in tree. Fat, tr right. fat tree, New Mexico. Brenda, <laughs> thank you so much for calling. We're so glad to hear from you. What, what's going on? How can we help you today? Well, I realize that we cannot look upon the face of God in our normal bodies. And we know that Moses inquired of God to see, see him. And he says, I can't let you see my glory. And that's when he put him in the rock and, and put his hand over him. But I also understand that the angels in heaven can't look upon God. So when we get our glorified bodies, will we be able to see God for who he is? Oh, it's a really good question. You know, Pastor Jeff, you know, when you, when you think about that, um, is it true that the angels, are they not able to look at God? And then secondly, um, are we going to be able to look upon God? Well, you know, I've never read a verse that said angels can't look at, at God. I'm, I'm thinking of a verse in the book of Revelation where uh, angels, cherubim, seraphims, heavenly beings are surrounding the throne room of God surrounding the throne of God and worshiping him. And, I, and I'm just not so sure there's a verse that says they, they can't look at the face of God. I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't think of one. Maybe you can, John. But 
the Bible says in first John four one, I think it's well, not four one, but it's first John, um, that the day is going to come when we see him. We will see him, and when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that tells me that when we go to heaven, we are going to be able to see God. Uh, there's not going to be any reason why we shouldn't. We're no longer inhabiting a body of flesh. You know, Moses, as holy a man as he was, you know, he literally glowed in the dark. I mean, they had to put a veil over his face. He was so aglow with the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yet he still inhabited a body of flesh with a uh, fallen nature. And so he could not look at God. But when we're in heaven, we've got a brand new body. Uh, there is no more flesh, no more devil, no more temptation, no more weakness, uh, none of that. And I believe that glorified body is absolutely going to be able to look into the face of God. No reason why not. Uh, in fact, it also says that the Lord Jesus countenance, his face is going to be the light of that city. We're not going to need a sun, not a moon, none of the natural lights that God gave man uh, in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. But we're going to, uh, he's going to enlighten. He's going to be the light. The glory emanating and exuding from him is going to be the light that lightens that glorious, beautiful city. So I do believe, Brenda, we are going to be able to look in the face of God because we will be fully like him. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great verse that you mentioned there. First John chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, see him as he is. Another passage of scripture that goes right along with that is Revelation 22, 4, that says, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. So yes, we will definitely have a clear vision. Can you imagine uh, what it's going to be like to actually see the face of the one, you know, Peter said, the one you love, though you haven't seen, you know, you love him and you serve him and yet you've never seen him. But what's it going to be like to look into the face of our savior? And Jeff, he's still going to have, you know, is Jesus still going to have the scars when we get to heaven? I don't, you know, I've heard Mike Kessler talk about that. And he's, he believes that we will see the nail scarred hands of Christ, that those scars will still be there. I can't imagine why they wouldn't be because they would be an eternal reminder of the Son of God giving himself up for us all. And, you know, to me, it would make sense. I don't think that, of course, he will be in any way uh, revolting or or deformed or uh, something difficult to look at. Um, but I do believe it's very possible those uh, marks of the nails mm-hmm. will be in his hands and feet to remind us for eternities uh, and ages to come that Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave his life for all of us, and that's why we're in heaven, because he redeemed us by his sacrifice on the cross. So I think that's very possible. Brenda, how do, what do you think about that, seeing Jesus face-to-face? Does that encourage you? I think I'll probably fall down on my face. It's going to be so much to take, <laughs> but I also have a prayer request. I have a younger daughter that has been parentally alienated from me, and she is okay. not saved. And, and I pray for her day and night, but I'm just... We're so close to going up that I just, I fear for her that she's under um, people that are not saved and don't recognize God for who he is. 
Well, Brenda, what's her name? We'd love to pray for her. Colette. Okay. Pastor Jeff, you want to lift up uh, Colette and we'll just ask for, and listen, we're, yeah. it's not just us praying. We got, we got family all over going to be joining us in prayer That's for your right. today, Brenda. You know, Brenda, I want to encourage you. I really do believe that we're in a time when a lot of prodigals are going to be coming home and a lot of children that have been uh, the burden of their parents uh, for a long time are going to be touched by the Lord. I, I just, I, I don't know why I say that, except that I've sensed, uh, we've seen a lot in our own church of prodigals returning to Christ in these last days. And you mentioned that she's not a Christian. Has she, has she ever believed at all? Has she ever claimed to be a believer? Well, before our divorce, um, of course, I took him to church as much as I was allowed to, if you understand that, and tried mm-hmm. to make an impression on him. My oldest daughter, she's very religious, and she's got a great family and everything. Um, so, unfortunately, he, her um, father has actually turned her against her sister, too. So it's really disrupted mm-hmm. the family unit. Right. But has she, has she ever confessed Christ? No, no. Okay. Well, let's just pray. Lord, we just give Colette to you. And Lord, we have people all over America listening who have children who have not come to Christ or are prodigals. And Lord, we just pray for them. We pray for Colette and by proxy, all the rest. We thank you, Lord, that you're able to convict. You're able to bring a person to a conviction of their sin. You're able to, uh, Lord, build a hedge around them. You're able to uh, wall them in. You're able to uh, literally, in a, in a sense, corner them and bring to their minds what they've heard about you, what they know about you, and to convict them of their sin. You said that the ministry of the Spirit of God, one of those ministries would be to convict of sin. So, Lord, we pray for the conviction of sin, which is a merciful conviction. We pray that you'll bring it upon Colette and the many, many hundreds, maybe even thousands of children uh, that other parents listening are praying for right now. And we thank you, Lord, for bringing the prodigals back home before it's too late. We thank you for your mercies, and we agree with Brenda for this, and thank you uh, that every promise of God is yea and amen through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brenda, for calling, and God bless you out there in New Mexico. If you stay in the line, we'd love to send you out some some materials that I think would be a real encouragement to you and your walk with the Lord. Again, thanks for calling. Folks, listen, if you got a question, 8888-ASK-CSN. That's 8888-ASK-CSN. We're going to go now to Daniel out in Monterey, California. Daniel, welcome to Every Man and Answer. Hi. Hello, Pastor. Thank you for taking my call. Got it. Hmm. So, so, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you, bro. What's your question? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so my question is... um. Uh, so lately I've been, um, uh, uh, like on social media and I've been, uh, seeing these, uh, clips about how, um, uh, about the name of Jesus, how, um, that's not really his name. And, uh, it was lost in translation that it's, um, really Joshua, it's Yeshua that's, uh, should have been translated as Joshua. So my question is, um, does that make any kind of difference? Like whether it be good or bad, you know, do you, do you believe that that, that the Lord will actually, um, pull that maybe against us or even maybe, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, appreciate it. Like if we would use his actual name, Yeshua or Joshua, would that help us any or, or hurt us any? That's a good question. You know, Jeff, there are people that, uh, you know, you come across from time to time that, um, 
are are very sensitive to this. They they might come to you and say, "Hey, you're not supposed to call him Jesus. You're supposed to call him Yeshua." Uh, they want to use the Hebrew original. They want to make sure that you're saying it correctly. There's, um, you know, what what do you say to people who ask a question like Daniel did? What should we call him? Should we call him Jesus? Should we call him Savior? Do we call him Father? How does all that work? Well. For one, it's the Messianic movement. It's, there's a Christian Messianic movement uh, that uh, insists that uh, you should call him Yeshua because that's the real name and you shouldn't call him Jesus. Uh, but, you know, really, I think it comes down to who is he to you in your heart? Who are you calling out on? And uh, Yeshua is is simply the Hebrew name uh, for Joshua. Uh, if you want to go to Greek, it's Jesus is the way you say Jesus. Jesus, and uh, it's just been transliterated into the name Jesus. Uh, but they're all one and the same, Jesus, Jesus, uh, one and the same. So who saves you? Well, it's Jesus, but it's also Jesus. It, it's a matter of semantics. Uh, I do think that it's wrong to tell somebody that it is wrong to call him Jesus because that's the transliteration of his name into English, and, and we are English-speaking people. So to call him Jesus is not in any way, shape, or form wrong or disrespectful or dis- dishonoring. It's not. His name is Jesus. If you want to, call him Jesus, call him Yeshua. But I, I, I don't agree with condemning the use of Jesus. That's just, we're, we speak English. We're in the English language, and that's the transliteration. His name is going to be different in German. It's going to be different in Russian. It's going to be something else in French. It's going to be something else in Chinese. So to call him Jesus per the English language is just a matter of transliteration, and there's there's not a thing wrong with it. So um, if you want to call him Jesus, great. Yeshua, that's great. But but don't tell people they can't call him Jesus. That's not that's not right. Yeah, and I and, no? and it's not like the Lord's up there. You know, when we pray to him, Daniel, like, hey, you didn't call me. Yeah, you didn't call me Yeshua. Sorry, yeah. I'm not gonna answer your prayer. Uh, you're supposed to say in the name of Yeshua. You say in the name of Jesus. We we speak as Jeff mentioned. We speak English, so it, it's not like it gives us a you know the upper hand in prayer, or he's going to be offended if we don't. Hey, there there there's no greater name than the name of Jesus, and we call upon his name, and and they they call him different things in different places because they speak a different language. But Jeff, follow up question, just in light of Daniel, kind of you kind of prompted me, Daniel. Daniel, to ask the question, have you guys ever thought, hey, what's, what do you think the language is in heaven? What are we going to be saying? What's it going to be in heaven, Jeff, when we get there? Can you tell us? just want to know. Well, it, it, we're, we're told we're going to be given a name that no one knows. It's, yeah. It's, it's a, a name that awaits for us in heaven. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a completely unique language. Now, some people have surmised that it's going to be Hebrew because that was, uh, you know, the language of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on and so forth. But if you stop and think about it, going all the way back to the dawn of time, what did Adam and Eve speak? Well, uh, not Hebrew. Hebrew came along later. Uh, they, they spoke a language that was universal before the Tower of Babel. And so there was a universal language before Babel. And then when the Tower of Babel happened and God confused the languages and all these different languages sprung up, uh, then, uh, you know, there, whatever the universal language had been, uh, disappeared. So what was it with Adam and Eve? Maybe that's the language that'll mm-hmm. be spoken in heaven because in heaven, uh, Eden is restored. <clears throat> you know, paradise lost, paradise found. 
Interesting. You know, in Genesis, it's lost. In Revelation, it's restored. So Adam and Eve spoke in a language that no longer existed after Babel. So mm. what was it? We we don't know what it was. Good question. There, uh, there's, a little, there's a little extra for you, Daniel, out there in Monterey. I know you didn't ask that one, but maybe that'll get you thinking too. And But hey, listen, you know, the most important thing is it relates to the name of Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Lord is salvation. So we call upon the name of Jesus. It's a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so thank you so much, Daniel. Great question. Thanks so much for calling up there in Monterey. Stay on the line. Love to send you out some books, some DVDs, some things that'll encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And we want to go to Rick. We are headed out to Charleston, South Carolina. How you doing, Rick? Welcome to the program today. Rick, are you there? I'm here. All right, brother. What's your question today? Well, yesterday we uh, the conversation went, and I think Josh says he was going to look into uh, the, the question of uh, Genesis fifteen eighteen. Is that correct? I'm not sure Hello. what the. Could you repeat the question? I, I don't remember. I don't remember that question. Genesis fifteen. I was on with Mike. And I'm I'm looking Genesis fifteen eighteen. I don't recall. Can you refresh us, Rick? Yeah. Well, Genesis fifteen eighteen. God says, "I will give you the land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates." And there's a whole lot of discussion whether or not that's really going to happen. Uh, whether it's going, you know, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, blah blah blah. I think if uh, Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38 will answer that very clearly, and um, I won't read all of, of Ezekiel 36, even the 10 verses of it. But when you read Ezekiel 36, if you take the pronouns you and my and they mm-hmm. and break them down as to who they are, my land— and they is the nations which are around you. In verse 36... Hey, Rick, very, one what, second. I, sorry to interrupt you there. We are coming up on a break, and this sounds pretty detailed. And I don't want our people to miss uh, what you're about to share. So if we could just pause for a moment, and we'll come back, and we want to talk about this. Israel, the river of Egypt, to the river Euphrates. What are we talking about? How much land is this? And and is there some kind of... Well, how much are they going to be given? And so... Let's pause there. We're going to come back. We're going to check out this Ezekiel 38 passage you mentioned. And uh, we, we want to talk about it. So stick around, folks. Myself, Pastor Jeff, will be right back for the second half of the program. If you're 65 or older, you know this. Seeing your health care costs go up and up is frustrating. And maybe you were just notified that your Medicare costs are increasing again, or you're just tired of the massive deductibles. Well, here's some good news. There's a program that can really help with this. It's MediShare 65+. plus. It's an affordable, reliable alternative. You can choose any Medicare provider. You get telehealth access anytime you need it. And MediShare 65+, plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. MediShare is a Christian healthcare community that aligns with your faith. People actually pray for you. They encourage you. And it's proven, too. It's been going strong for over 30 years now. So call now. You can get one low monthly price for up to 10 years. You're not stuck. 
with increasing costs. You can do something about this today. Call MetaShare 65+. plus. Find out how much you can save. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. This is a sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn who helped this mother of triplets choose life. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as five weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. Preborn is the country's largest provider of free ultrasounds for moms in crisis. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the heartbeats of those in the greatest need, preborn babies. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the second half of To Every Man and Answer. I'm your host, John Randall, and joining me today, my friend, Jeff Wickwire. So glad to be here with my brother. And we were talking about um, the land of Israel. And, and before we go back to Rick there in Charleston, South Carolina, the thought did occur to me. You know, the Lord said in Joshua chapter 1, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. This is the territory that God promised to Israel. And so, uh, you know, Rick, we want to come come back out to you there in uh, South Carolina. Again, just make the question very clear. What is the question that you that you were asking? Well, I believe that Ezekiel thirty six mm-hmm. will answer not only Joshua but also Genesis fifteen eighteen, where God said uh, uh, after uh, uh, he appeared to um, uh, Abraham and was promised a son. I will give you the land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, it starts out talking about uh, the nations, which are the hills and the mountains, ravines and the valleys. And it keeps talking about it in pronouns, saying you, you, they, and so on. Mm-hmm. Who is my land? And ver- according to uh, uh, verse 5, um, This is what the Sovereign Lord says in the burning zeal. I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, for they with glee and with malice in their heart have made my land their own possession so that they might plunder uh, plunder it and pasture it. It goes on. But if you read the first ten verses there, you is uh, uh, my land, my land. and then if you will look over at Ezekiel 36, 36, it talks about the, uh, it's talking about my land and the nations which are around you. In verse 36 of Ezekiel 36, then the nations that remain around you will know that I am the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed. 
and have planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Now, that's Ezekiel 36, 36. The okay. nations that, are remain, that remain round about you. If you look at Ezekiel 38, and we know that uh, Son of Man say, uh, say to Gog, Megog, Meshes, and Tubal, those mm-hmm. nations which are with you, Persia, Iran is on the east side. Just, Rick, so I, I'm, I'm follow, I just want to make sure I'm tracking with you, you know, and I, I'm following you. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff, as you hear what, what he's reading and reading through, um, what, what's your thoughts on this? Do you think that those well, passages somehow fulfill fulfill that? Well, I think this is future. Um, yes, agreed. Because we know for sure that Israel has never settled. Uh, they they never incorporated into their official geographical boundaries all the land that God has right. promised. Not to this day have they done it. Uh, there's large tracts of land like the, the territories northeast of the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Euphrates, uh, the area populated by the Philistines. There's there's there there were yet places populated by the Philistines and other Canaanite uh, peoples that they never conquered. So to this day, they have not conquered and taken and possessed everything God promised. So I believe Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39, uh, all of this is future. And so it's sort of like, when when do you place, for instance, the Ezekiel War? He was mentioning Ezekiel 38. That is the infamous Ezekiel War that has never happened in history. Uh, what what God describes through Ezekiel in, in 38 and 39 uh, has never taken place in any uh, historical setting at all, so it is yet to come. My understanding is that the land God promised will ultimately and finally be possessed by Israel after Christ has returned. And um, uh, so the Ezekiel War... Uh, will have taken place and um, things like that that are yet future. But right now, they haven't possessed it. So I have to think that 36, 37, 38, 39 are all future. Mm-hmm. And God is for sure going to give, make, bring his pom- promises to pass, his land promises. But I don't believe it'll be fully realized until Christ has returned. Then it will be fully realized. So I hope that helps, Rick, because if I'm reading you right, uh, you're wondering if these things are yet future, and I believe they are. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I believe that they are in the future, and I believe that uh, certainly during the millennial reign of Christ, I mean, ultimately, let's face it, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So although they haven't fully, here's the other thing that I think Rick did a great job of, of doing, you know, by connecting Genesis uh, 15 to Ezekiel 36. I mean, he, he's seeing that he's drawing the lines through the Bible. And I love that you, you study the word in that way, Rick, that you're drawing the lines, you're seeing the connections, you're, you're understanding it, that some of these things are yet in the future. And, and we're going to see the fulfillment uh, of this. I, I mean, it's going to be, if God said it, in other words, uh, Jeff, God's going to do it. It's just a matter of time. His timing is not our timing, but ultimately all of the land that God promised them it will be there specifically, as you said, when he returns, establishes his kingdom, the millennial reign. It's it's not going to be in question any longer, but it is yet in the future. 
Appreciate that call from uh, Charleston. Rick, thank you so much for your insight and really studying the word. Stay on the line. Love to send you out some materials, some books, uh, some DVDs that I think will be real encouragement to you as you continue to study the Bible. Uh, folks, if you haven't yet uh, called us here, you can call us at 8888-ASK-CSN. If you have a question, that's 8888-ASK-CSN. We'd love to hear from you. Let's go now to Willie in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We got some friends out in New Mexico today, Jeff. Hey, Willie, welcome to the program. How can we help you? Hello, fellas. Uh, great show as always. I have a question. Was there a book of Thomas or okay. a, uh, yeah, a book or scripture with him? I have a friend that said he likes to go with, uh, the book of Thomas, which I told him, I don't know where that is in scripture, but he said Thomas was more like Jesus. He wasn't for organized um, religion or money giving. Any answers there? Ah, well, that's a really good question. It's very interesting. So when you go through the scriptures, Pastor Jeff, we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, we don't see Thomas. Where, where do we find, you know, these extra biblical sources? Like, yeah. is there a book of Thomas and should we be listening to that? Or is that something that, I mean, it's not in the canon of scripture. What do you, what do we, what do we think about these other writings? Well, there is a book of Thomas. It's not canonical, meaning it has not been included in the Protestant Bible, uh, at all because it was never considered inspired. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even discovered till 1945. So that tells you pretty much all you need to know. Right. Uh, it was discovered in Egypt, and it was written uh, around the mid-2nd century. And uh, so, once again, um, you know, there's no evidence at all that this is uh, inspired uh, text. you got to remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So when the, the books that were included in Scripture like, say, the New Testament books, the reason they were included is they were considered to be inspired, literally breathed out by God. And uh, there were ways of validating that and deciding which ones would be included in uh, official scripture. Thomas is certainly not one of them. So the very fact that it wasn't discovered till 1945 ixnays that book altogether. So, yes, there is a book of Thomas, but certainly... Don't read it like you would Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Philippians, or something like that, because it is certainly not inspired by the Holy Spirit. John? Well, I appreciate that response. You know, Willie, does that help you out? Yeah, so there was no Gospel of Thomas either? Yeah, it's called the Gospel of Thomas. It's a Coptic manuscript, and um, they called it the Book of Thomas, but... It's not like the book of Matthew or the book of Philippians or the book of Ephesians. It's different. It was called the Gospel of Thomas, but it's not like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Again, it's discovered in 1945. It's not inspired. But yeah, it's called the Gospel of Thomas. And I guess you can you can go read it, but uh, always know it's not inspired. It's not officially a part of the Bible in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I appreciate that. Willie, I hope that helps you out there. And, you know, I say it's great to stick to the to the Gospels that we have and the ones that are inspired, are inerrant, 
are in the canon of scripture and there's a reason why they're there. And, um, you know, I would stick with those and I think you'll continue to, to grow in your faith as you abide in the word and the word abides in you. The Bible says you will bear much fruit. Really appreciate the call, Willie. Stay on the line. We'd love to send you out some materials and uh, to encourage you in your faith. Let's go out to Brian in Virginia. Brian, welcome to, to Every Man and Answer. Glad to have you on the program today. Oh, thank you very much. You got it. Uh, what's your question, Brian? Well, I wanted to know what the the pastors would thought about um, why, you know, when like David and Solomon were kings, by that time the earth was well populated. Um, why do they think that God didn't impress upon them that they should only have one wife? I mean, that, what are your thoughts on that? Or did he and they just ignored it? Or, you know, what what do you think? That is a good question. Interesting. True story. Last night in the book of First Kings, we went into the life of Solomon and we got to the part, Pastor Jeff, where he went from one wife who was uh, the daughter of Pharaoh to 700 wives to 300 concubines wow. extra. I mean, you'd think, hey, one wife is sufficient, a blessing. Jesus, you know, the Bible says at the beginning, one man, one woman for life. That's God's intention. Why, why do you suppose? And this is a good question. And it, I'm glad you asked it, Brian. You know, the whole thing of polygamy. Why, why didn't some, why is that found in the Old Testament? You know, how do you answer that? Cause that's a question that comes up quite often. Well, we, we know that scripture unfolded in, in sort of like layers. Revelation came in layers. Remember, Adam and Eve fell, right? So their nature fell. Uh, they became disconnected from God. Everything in the universe was affected by the fall. So God's truth was obscured. The way God originally intended things was obscured. And revelation unfolded uh, over time. And uh, Paul says something interesting in Acts 17, verse 30. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. There, there were times of ignorance that God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Well, what does that mean? Well, for a long time, what was definitely right or wrong um, was not nearly as clear until Moses came along with for instance, the moral code of the Ten Commandments. And there you have, thou shalt not commit adultery, and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, so then it became very clear. Even Paul said, he said, when, when Moses gave the commandments, then sin became sin. That is, we knew what it was, and, and uh, it, it, it accentuated it. It put sin under a microscope. So there's no more question about, is this of God or not of God, or is this right or is this wrong? Uh, but Moses brought great light on, on God's morality, his character, what he required, uh, what he considered sin, what he considered right or wrong. And, but before that clarity, uh, Paul says there were times of ignorance and God overlooked them. That's not to mean that they did not answer for that sin, uh, in the sense of consequences. There were certainly consequences for sin. Uh, from time immemorial all the way back to Adam and Eve. But there was an ambiguity about what was right or wrong uh, until Moses came and said, thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. Thou shalt not commit adultery, shalt not steal, shalt not murder, uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. And we went, oh, okay, now it's clear. And then we realized 
I can't live up to this. There's no way that I can keep these Ten Commandments, the moral code. If I keep nine of them and fail in one, James said, I failed in them all. So not only did Moses uh, and the Ten Commandments, for instance, clarify sin, but they brought a, a, a sort of desperation to mankind because we quick, uh, quickly realized, I can't live up to this. What am I going to do? So Paul says, the commandments became a schoolmaster that sort of uh, disciplined us into grace because we realized, no matter how hard I try, I can't do these commandments. I'm going to fail because they are weak through my flesh. So I need the grace of God. I need uh, for God to have mercy on me and uh, for somebody else to live these commandments out and have it imputed to me. And that's what Jesus did. He perfectly lived out the law. He fulfilled the law uh, so that now when we place our faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to us as if we lived out the commandments. But back to your question, Brian, uh, there were times of ignorance. God blinked. God uh, God unfolded revelation, uh, truth, as, as time went on. And uh, I think that's why certain things like the rampant polygamy and all of that, uh, those were times of ignorance that God overlooked until grace would come. And I, I believe that's that's a, a decent response to that question. You know, when you look for the record, you know, you go back to Genesis 2, verse 24, and the Lord made it clear in the very beginning, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his singular wife. Mm-hmm. That was God's original intention. Man did not yeah. follow God's original intention. Later on in Deuteronomy, uh, you remember when God was talking about the kings, he said, hey, listen, tell the kings, do not multiply wives. David made that mistake. And look at the consequences that he faced in his family, how his family began to unravel. Just look at what happened. Solomon, even more so. In fact, his heart turned away from God. When you come to the New Testament, you see where it says in First Timothy, the qualifications for both pastor, both deacon, they are to be the husband of one wife, singular. So that's God's original intent. God's original intention is one man, one woman for life, period. That That is God's original intention. And uh, as as was stated uh, by Pastor Jeff, these things, you know, you see in Old Testament. So, um, but that wasn't God's original. And sometimes, you know, Brian, when no. you think about it, sometimes we know what God's word says and we choose not to do it. And that's a mistake. And we eventually, although God is long suffering, we, we do end up suffering the, the consequences for those decisions. So it's better to go with God's original intention and um, and that's the best way to go. Does that answer it for you, Brian? Yeah, it does. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. You got it, brother. Thanks so much for calling there out in Virginia. Hey, listen, folks, still time. We got some lines open. 8888-ASK-CSN. But let's go out to Ted in Kentucky. Ted, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on. How can we help you today? Hello, can you hear me? We can hear you, Ted. Yes, uh, I want to get your thoughts about uh, the strange fire the sons of uh, Moses' brother brought to the tabernacle, and God killed them. So at that time, there was one, only one type of fire. Today, we have many type of fire, like uh, fire, made, fire made by propane, by uh, matches, uh, mm-hmm. cigarette lighter, uh, the fire made by the electricity, by the stove. So what right. kind of fire, strange fire you think could, could be that time? Mm, good question. Yeah, boy, that was 
that was something that happened on that day. First day on the job. Um, you know, imagine Jeff, they, they know what to do. They go through all these instructions. And then for some reason, Aaron's two sons, we don't know exactly, but what do you think of what actually happened in, on the day when they were dedicating the tabernacle and they came in, what happened with that strange fire? Where did it come from? Why did that happen? Yeah, well, that was uh, Aaron's two sons. I've always called them Nadab and Abihu. I'm sure, I don't know if that, the pronunciation is Sounds right correct to me. there, but Nadab and Abihu will do. Uh, they offered incense with strange fire. And uh, the interesting thing about that word strange in the Hebrew language, it means unauthorized or, or foreign or even profane. They offered profane fire or uh, fire that was not authorized. So, uh, God had told Aaron exactly how to offer sacrifices. There, there was specific instructions, and you were to follow it to a T. And apparently his two sons, who were not honoring God, uh, they were profane themselves. They were immoral boys. We know that from the account of Scripture. Um, and they decided to do it the way they wanted to do it. And that always gets you in trouble with God. That's what happened with Cain. Cain offered his own best idea for a sacrifice, whereas Abel offered a, a blood sacrifice, Cain did it his way, and his way was not accepted. Same thing here, Nadab and Abihu, they did it their way. And it was a an unauthorized, it was, it was a way of offering the sacrifice that God had not directed. Now, the exact nature of the profane fire, uh, we don't know. It doesn't say but simply that it was a fire that was unauthorized. It could be they were burning the incense with fire of their own making. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But suffice it to say, it was unauthorized. It was profane. It had greatly offended God. And wow, they were burned to death on the spot. God took them on the spot. And um, that was it. So sort of the moral of the story is, uh, when God says, this is the way I want you to approach me, this is the way I want you to come into my presence, then that's the way you need to come in. And the way that we New Testament that, we bring it over into the New Covenant, there's only one way to come to God, and that's through Christ. And if you do it your way, well, you can go hug a tree, you can go to all kinds of different religions and say, I'm just going to do it that way or I'm going to go to God with my own good works, it'll work for you like it worked for Nadab and Abihu. It will not work. You've got to come God's way per God's instructions. And so the the lesson for us is uh, you better be sure you come to God through Christ because he's the only way, truth, and life. And if you come any other way, well, uh, to carry the story over into uh, New Testament times, you will end up being burned. Because they were burned. God God took them then and there by fire. That's right. So uh, we don't want to end up that way. And I think that's the moral of the story, and that's what happened with that. Yeah, great answer, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Ted, so much for that question. Hope that answers it for you. I encourage you to stay on the line. We'd love to send you out some materials, again, that I think will encourage you in your walk with the Lord. we got time for a couple more questions. Let's go to Walter and Mesalea Park, New Mexico. Is that right? Did I say that right, Walter? Uh, uh, that's my mailing address. Uh, it's uh, welcome to the program, Cruces, Mexico. Okay. Well, how can we help you today? What's your question? Well, first of all, I want to confirm that the way you said Alamogordo is correct. 
And my All question right. is, because I live, I live about an hour from Alamogordo. My question right. is, I like your both your thoughts on the Trout of Turin, if it's authentic or not, or you know, whatever you know about it. All right. Well, we'd love to take it. We got about three minutes here, and we got just the guy for it. You know, the Shroud of Tehran. Uh, is this, you know, this burial cloth of Jesus? Apparently, that they found. Is it authentic? Is it real? Is it fake? Uh, Pastor Jeff, what can we say about this uh, piece of cloth? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to say I don't know. I don't think anybody knows for sure. And um, you know, I think it would you know, be great if it was true. But, you know, you, you note that God was very careful in Scripture to uh, not allow, for instance, the body of Moses. It says that uh, angels literally fought over it. Satan fought with uh, Michael over the body of Moses. What was that about? Well, I believe God does not want the human race knowing where Moses was buried because it would be a, become a place of worship. Uh, people would idolize it, and God did not want that. And, uh, you know, you see, for instance, the way the Catholic Church, uh, and I'm not slamming Catholics, so there's wonderful people in the Catholic Church and, uh, people that do love Jesus in the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church has, I believe, made the mistake of idolizing saints, uh, even Mary, you know, Mariology, uh, deifying Mary, the Immaculate Conception, you know, Mary was, was, uh, pure from sin, uh, when she conceived Christ and all of that, and that's the Immaculate Conception. So God said not to do that. You know, don't make anything, don't make statues, don't make idols of anything in heaven, because you tend to worship those things instead of the true and the living God. So the thing about the Shroud of Turin is if it's real, great. If it's not, okay, I'm fine with that. But I I do have a caution about if you think that it is real, don't deify it or uh, make it more than it is. Uh, don't don't worship it. Don't create a shrine to it. Don't carry it into that arena because Scripture is very clear that God did not want that to happen. You know, we're to avoid idolatry and idols. And I think that uh, the people that believe it's real, it has become an idol. It's something that is literally worship the way we ought to worship Christ. So I think that's the danger to it. Other than that, John, I got to tell you, I'm not sure. And I don't know that anybody else is. Yeah, I would tend to lean towards, although maybe not sure, I I would tend to lean toward it's not the burial cloth of Christ. I I personally don't believe that it is. I do think people make a mistake. And let me say this, I don't need a burial cloth to know that Jesus is alive. Um, I believe it. I've got the written word of God. And uh, as you said, Pastor Jeff, sometimes people want to grab onto something and then they end up worshiping it, a piece of cloth, rather than the worshiping the creator or creation rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore. Hey, let's I worship. Agree. Let's worship Jesus. He is alive. He is coming again. Folks, I hope you're blessed by the program. Hey, listen, if we didn't get to your call, be sure to call tomorrow. We'd love to speak to you. Thanks so much for listening to, to Every Man and Answer. Until next time, God bless you. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 